All right, we're live. <laughs> how, how excited are you? So we're doing this. I have uh, Josh Lapp with me, and I'm I'm excited because you know obviously the first first guest on this thing, and I thought it would be fun. I'm actually down in Tennessee, and I just thought it'd be fun to do it. So <laughs> say hi to the people. How's it going? You know what? This reminds me. Of, did your <laughs> did your church do those things where? Um, People would get up and give their testimony before they got baptized. Oh, yeah. That's what this reminds me of, where it's like... <laughs> <clears throat> Is this on? Is this on? <laughs> um, so, I was... Uh, my name is... My name is Josiah. I'm 17 years old. I was, I was born and raised in a godly... Do you remember that? That was insane. Why are you doing it so dead accurate? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when that even became a thing, but I don't either. It's pretty. That funny. was a. Uh, I think that was more scary for most people than. Oh, dude! I remember absolutely. actually giving, <laughs> giving their lives to God. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, absolutely. No, that was terrifying. No, I remember it was completely terrifying. Yeah. Well, of course, it's like, you know, you just, you raise your kids with all kinds of emotional problems and insecurities, and then you just shove them up there. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no training whatsoever. It was just supposed to come from right. the heart. Yeah. And a huge stack of papers. I <laughs> feel <laughs> <laughs> like uh, most people would just write out basically the whole thing. Yeah, and then they just get up there and, and read it. And then just get up there and read it. Never look at anybody. No eye contact mm-hmm. whatsoever. We yeah. had... I think we had somebody, so so we had a lot of the um, Hoodrites would come in from the Hoodrite colonies, and one time they read, they just read somebody's whole testimony, because I guess they didn't speak English very well or something. One of the Hutterites? I think, I think it was. Dang. Maybe it was somebody else, I don't know. That's next level. It was next level. The whole the whole experience. Well, and the other <laughs> the other thing the entire situation was next level. Yeah, <clears throat> the other thing that made it worse was it was such a big church. It was like four hundred people. You did have a huge church. So, yeah, I mean, of course, when I did it, I mean, we had a decent sized church, but it was only like maybe two hundred people. Yeah, I don't think it really matters though, because I mean, these kids were like. <laughs> <laughs> Thirteen, fourteen yeah. years old, getting up in front of four hundred people, just absolutely wetting themselves the entire time. <laughs> it's like, how is that? No part of that is in the Bible. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, the re- the reason, um, or basically, my goal with some of this, um, especially with having people on is just kind of to get their their stories or not partially their stories but not just their stories also just kind of their perspective on the world and how they see life how they see uh, religion how they see basically just their worldview but I would like to hear your story because I think I think that a lot of times we don't realize how different our story is from other people's. Yeah. Until we tell our story and then hear somebody else's. That's true. You know what I mean? So, 
I don't care, dude. Where do you want to start? It is funny that way, even like even with like all of our friends that are grew up in like the conservative churches. Like pretty much all of our experiences were very different, even though we were kind of a part of the same churches or same organization. Same basic. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's true. I think we all had very, very different experiences with that. I think some people, some people actually had, man, I can hear everything in here. You want to try these headphones on? It's crazy what you can hear. It actually kind of helps you focus. Oh, wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that is. But yeah, I think even some of the some of the people that grew up in our types of churches actually had fairly positive experiences. Um, I think mine was bad, pretty bad. But I think there's other people in in some areas, more so down here in the South and some of these areas where they weren't quite as... They weren't influenced quite as extremely by some of the original leaders and stuff that started the charity movement, yeah. some of that stuff. And so they didn't go quite as far down the rabbit hole as what what yeah. charity and effort it did. No, I think that's true. At the same time, I think some of those earlier churches were almost better in some ways. Like the really early. You're saying like when the movement first started? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I have no idea. I don't remember that. So That's basically just going off of like, I guess not all, but like some of my like older siblings' experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I I think some of those older I mean, I feel like a lot of those older people turned out a little better than what the next generation did. Better is a relative term. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but I don't think that that next <clears throat> generation is the one that went really crazy. Yeah. No, that's like, true. as soon as they got old enough to drive, <laughs> a lot of them yeah. just went completely off the rails. And, and you didn't see that nearly as much with the first, like, with the people that are, like, 35, 40 now, um, yeah. that were, that kind of grew up as more so the first kids in that church or movement or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. just my perspective, but... I, it just seems to me like a lot of those do a lot better. Yeah. Anyway, where do you want to start? How far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? <laughs> I don't really don't care. How detailed? Story. How detailed do you want to go? Well, you don't have to get that detailed from the. I mean, you know, like when you, I don't need to know a lot of details from when you're like five. You know? <laughs> but where'd you grow up? Michigan. Lived, uh, yeah, was born and lived the same place till I was 22, till I got married. Do you like it? Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. I love it up there, actually. It's an amazing place to live. So, <clears throat> when you're 12 years old, 14 years old, living in Michigan, what is your perspective on the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I'm honestly not really sure how to answer that because 
my world was very small when I was that age. Yeah. Um, I had, at that age, I had very few friends. Um, the friends that I did have, usually it wasn't more than one or two even in the church. And uh, all of them lived far away from like where we lived. Yeah. And so like it wasn't like I'd see him Sunday that kind of thing, but it wasn't really. So you only saw him Sunday. Pretty much, usually, yeah. So and you were homeschooled too, right? Yeah, yeah. So for like that was pretty much until I was like seventeen, eighteen, and started traveling. Uh, for the most part, maybe a little younger than that, but I, uh, yeah, didn't have a lot of friends at all. It was very much. Um, well, Dad was the pastor in the church there for all of my growing up years um and so life was kind of about the church and you want them back yes i do all right and like you can hear so much better it's amazing it kind of gives you a it, it gives you more of a feel for what's actually going on i feel like i'd like to get two mics it's going to be loud. Are you going to do that the whole time? Probably. Probably. But I'd like to have the, the two mics and the, the two headphones, and then, you know, you can mute them individually. Yeah. You know, if you have to cough or whatever. Yeah. It's just be a lot nicer. But anyway, go ahead. Um, Your dad was a pastor. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, life was, it was very much just about the church, and um, I really didn't. I really didn't do a whole lot besides um, working and playing on the farm and stuff like that. And other than that, it was church services and youth nights once or twice a week. Um, yeah. So, do you think that's a bad thing? Some of that stuff kind of makes me wonder because you know, I mean, I grew up a lot the same way. If you set it down on that wood, it's really loud. I grew up a lot the same way, and a part of me feels like I really missed out with, you know, not being able to just spend a lot more time. And, and cause I feel like socially, it takes a lot longer to adjust when you don't have yeah. more interaction with people. But yeah. you're also, <clears throat> you're also not around a lot of bad influence too. You know what I mean? Well, that, I mean, that's one... You're also I, not getting in trouble. Yeah. that's <laughs> <Because> you can't. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest things that really kept me out of a lot of trouble when I was... As I grew up was that I didn't... Well, the fact that I didn't have a lot of friends, um, I also had a just terrible amount of insecurity. And so a lot of that was wrapped up in... Or a lot of that kept me from seeking out... Um, things that would have been frowned on in the church uh, because I was really, really concerned about my reputation as a good guy. Yeah. And so being that, since I didn't have any friends that were into anything, um, so I, just, I pretty much just kind of floated. When you talk about things that are frowned on by the church, are you talking about, what are, what are you talking about? Well, like, I mean, just as far as like, I mean, at least growing up, up until I was, I don't know, probably 18 or so, 
you know, things like uh, alcohol or smoking or, you know, anything like that that would have been really frowned on in the, in the culture mm-hmm. was just not a thing. Nobody did in my community. Right, right. And I, you know, I didn't have any friends that did it. And so beings, I, even if just the, the slight chance that I would have been caught in something like that, um, would have. That's enough to keep you from it. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you found a culture where that kind of thing is encouraged. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're horrible. Uh, no, I. It's a, yeah, it, it, no, a that, that is true because it. I mean, it does turn into a pretty, um, a pretty big part of my story later, later in life. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I tended to make up for lost time. Yeah. In the later years. So, at what point does that start changing, and you start getting out and seeing more of the world and meeting um, people and. I would say probably when I was about, well, it probably really started about when I was, let's see, I was about 16. Um, that would have been the second time our church split. <laughs> and uh, that time we were the ones that left. And so at that point then, um, we went to uh, like a Midwest Mennonite church for like, four months so why did the church split um or was that was that not a big deal to you at the time i wasn't no at that point i wasn't really involved in in any of like the men's meetings or anything the way stuff was structured back then um it was basically there was my dad and three two other pastors in the church and it basically became a thing of uh, them against him and uh, it was I, I don't remember exactly what some of the issues were um, dad was by no means perfect in those situations and so that fueled a lot of the other issues that were in the church things that he didn't deal with properly and things like that mm-hmm. um so, yeah, I don't remember exactly what the issues were. Yeah. But, so, yeah, that, that we left that church then, and then we were, we uh, went to the Midwest Mennonite Church for, like, six months, and then there was a handful of other families that left the same church and ended up asking Dad to pastor them. And so then another small church started, and since... It's kind of the typical charity church planting. <laughs> <laughs> when your church splits, you go somewhere else. That's that's church you planting. You start a new one that you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of what that turned into. And then at that point, um, we started. Some of us younger kids started traveling more because we didn't have a lot of healthy church connection at home mm-hmm. as much. So where, where did you start traveling to? Um, a lot of it was to like youth conferences and stuff like that. So like at that time it would have been like South Dakota. Um, I don't think I ever went to PA for one of those. 
At that time, I think it was mostly South Dakota. Okay. Frida and I went down to one in Ohio one time. Um, and then other than that, it would have been like trips into PA, like to see you and, um, yeah, mostly South Dakota and South Dakota, Pennsylvania, um, Tennessee some. Okay. So you, you've had friends down here for a long time then? Yeah, well, the, I knew people down here since, uh, for probably, yeah, at least 12 or 14 years. Because back before, uh, before that church split, Dad started, um, he helped pastor a church, the church down here when a bunch of people left the Amish. Okay. So we'd come down here with him quite a bit. So you grow up in Michigan. You don't really have any friends. You're, and now you're 16, 17, 18, and you start traveling around. What's that? And I assume you've still got all these insecurities. <laughs> what's that, what's that like? Does that help a lot with a lot of that stuff or does that just make everything worse? Um, it didn't really make it worse. I dealt with my insecurities by portraying myself as a confident kid that had it figured out. And so I, uh, I would go to new places and I would connect with, with people, Uh um, because I was willing, I put myself out there. Yeah. Um, so like I had, although it was, I, it was an insecurity, but I dealt with it by trying to become friends with people. Uh-huh. Um, because I felt like that's how I could gain their approval. Yeah. That's something I've always found very helpful in my own life <laughs> is, <laughs> is if I feel like I don't measure up in some way, just, yeah. just overcompensating. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it works every time. It, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to one of my coworkers and he was talking about how, you know, it just, you just make this pretend life in your head. Yeah. And you just disconnect from reality. Yeah. And then you're so much happier. You <laughs> know what I mean? If yeah. you just if you just ignore everything that's actually happening around you and just pretend everything's great. Yeah. Then everything kind right. of is great, you yeah. know. You just have to make sure you keep yourself busy enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can never let your guards down. Right. You know, you have to make yeah. sure you you stay in that. Yeah fictional land that's i mean that's pretty much exactly what i did i i would find people that i wanted to be friends with and then i would um pretend to be into the same things they were that that gets that's a slippery slope oh yeah yeah (laughs) big time it's like suddenly you're into playing the (laughs) trombone <laughs> Thankfully, that never happened. It's like, Mom, I'm not having fun. <laughs> Can you come get me? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was. I mean, I was. Thankfully, I was. Fi- <laughs> Thankfully and not, but I mean, I was fairly w- good at picking and choosing the things that, like, obviously I wasn't just going to be like, oh yeah, you know, I I play the trombone or whatever. 
And then, you know, somebody hands me one and it really just screws me over. Yeah. But um, on, on anything that I could or even, um, like, if there was a group of my friends that were talking about something that I didn't know crap about. Yeah. I would just BS my way into this conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I had a friend like that. I never really noticed that with you, but... Really? I no, can't not really. Didn't. I had a... I had a friend like that, that, well, we'll call him, we'll call him Doran Cooper. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> because that's his name, <laughs> but, um, but no, it's, I, I get why people do it, but, I and, and with you it wasn't obvious, but. With some people, it's very obvious. I understand it simply because I was there. It's one of the most horrible things you ever put yourself through. Yeah. I feel like everybody does that at some level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> so now... At what point did you start going on uh, mission trips and stuff overseas? Well, uh, let's well, I should back up. So now you're you're seventeen, eighteen. What's your worldview? Are you a? Would you consider yourself a Christian at this point, or would you? Yeah, that not really have a. At that point, I was still like pretty wrapped up in the like conserv. I was still very concerned about what like the churches that we were in uh, saw me as. Um, so even though, like, I didn't, um, it wasn't an actual, like, real part of my life, I portrayed myself very much as a, basically just a well-behaved charity kid. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did the right things and I helped out with the kids' ministries and stuff like that. Um, because that's what, that's what people wanted. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, at that point it was still been, like, very wrapped up in all of that. Um, it was probably, that didn't really change, honestly, until I was, let's see, this would have been... Probably when I was 18 or 19. It's probably really when it started to change. Um, In what way? Well, at that point, well, my entire life I always, I knew that, um, I read enough of scripture that I knew that the lifestyle, that the life that I was living, even though it was approved of by, many, by a lot of people, was not what, um, not what it should have been, scripturally, mm-hmm. as as a like a Christian, as a young Christian, um, and so when I was eighteen or nineteen, I started traveling, making more friends, outside our community, and so some of those things, um, I started to form some of my own opinions about that more, mm-hmm. and it didn't it, it it didn't change my life necessarily. 
um, for quite a while. But it kind of put me in this place where I, I would say that's really where I started. Um, I knew it wasn't, I knew life wasn't the way it should be, or that I knew I wasn't living life the way that I should be, but I didn't really know how to. And so at that point is really when I started uh, distracting myself. And that kind of let me, um, it let me ignore it. Distracting yourself in what way? Uh, like you're saying how? Yeah. Um, at that point, that would have been when I really started focusing on, well, I say focusing, but that, that's when I really started um, thinking about my financial health, um, going into business, um, different, you know, thinking about investments that I want to make, that kind of thing. That took up a big part of it. And then um, that's really when I started traveling quite a bit too. So that was a big part of it. Um, and then other than that, it was really just, I stayed very, very busy. Um, I was very, very rarely at home in the evening. Um, I would, I, I'd do something as often and as long as I could just to keep from sitting around, basically. Yeah. So, but your overall worldview is still, you still had a Christian worldview, or did you not, did you ever have a time where you just kind of gave up on that and walked away from it? No, I never, there's never, never, I, not completely. Um, somehow I was, even though, I hated, um, so like pretty much the majority of what I saw in my church experience and a lot of the Christians that I grew up with, um, somehow I was able to separate that from what I saw in scripture and separate that from what I knew was uh, basically just separate it from I, I didn't really, really even know how but somehow just separate it from the way that I I just believed that scripture or Jesus actually wanted I didn't connect it to so even though like these people were all professing Christians I just looked at their acts and said what they were doing, and I just said, yeah, I mean, that's not that's not scriptural. That's not what Jesus would want. That doesn't mean that God doesn't exist or that Christianity isn't real. Yeah. I don't so, really know so how what to gave explain you that, um, What gave you that original faith in the Bible, or what gave you that confidence that the Bible was true and how you should live your life? I that part like as that's as, kind of rare. A lot of people. Yeah. There. So. That's one thing that I honestly don't know. Um, but. Ever since I can remember, I've just had a very. Um. I just had a really deep seated. 
conviction that Christianity had to be is the only one to me that made sense, even though I didn't even study it that much. Mm-hmm. It was the only one to me that made sense, and somehow I knew that there had to be people somewhere that um, actually lived a life that made sense scripturally. Mm-hmm. And I like I I don't know exactly why why I I was felt so certain about it or um, was so convinced but I was never able to I was never able to uh, to write it off just yeah completely write it off yeah so did you find at when you're a teenager did you find a group of people that you felt like was living? a life based on what the Bible taught or did you was that something you never really saw you just kind of believed was out there for sure not until I was probably for sure not until maybe even the last few years yeah Um, and I want to be careful how I say that because like I didn't question, like, my parents, for example. I didn't question their sincerity. Mm-hmm. They, be- like, I know without a doubt that, I don't doubt at all that they completely believed that they were, um, they were doing what they believed scripture was taught them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, For me, a lot of times I would just look at the I would look at the like the charity church experience as a whole, and I was just yeah, this is not <laughs> this is not the thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I I never found that until probably. Yeah, probably a couple years ago. That's interesting. It's also kind of crazy. Yeah. That's not more, <laughs> not more common. Yeah. So, this is when you're 17, 18, you start getting out traveling, you're spending a lot more time with people yeah and then what um well I I think when things really started to change for me at a heart level like emotionally and like with my friends was uh let's see it would have been it would have been the spring no fall after Peter died um I, (laughs) one of those things that my insecurity uh, made me do, I got involved in planning a a youth conference. You remember the worship weekends? Yeah. So I was involved in planning the first few of those uh, with some of my friends. And that was one of those things where, I mean, I, I did sincerely 
like the vision behind what we wanted to do. Um, but it was also, it put me, um, it connected me to these two other guys and gave me a common ground with them. That is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> um, the first one, so the kind of the the purpose of the weekend um, was to help young people um, find a way to be able to uh, be honest with where they were at in life mm-hmm. and to be honest emotionally. And me, uh, looking back, I think it's pretty hilarious because I was pretty much as emotionally screwed up as they get. <laughs> and here I was planning this weekend. And uh, so we, uh, we decided that in order to help, um, help the, the, all, everyone that was coming kind of see our vision and, and be able to uh, just kind of open the door to discussion and stuff, we decided that a couple of us um, that had planned it would share a life story. And so, uh, naturally, I had to agree to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you didn't have a choice. (laughs) I had to agree to that, and I didn't even really think about how... um, I, looking back, I I really think it was a God thing, because, like, my insecurity took me into it, and I was all eager, and like, yeah, you know, I'll do it, because um, it gave me that um, connection and credibility with, with the other guys. And, um, so I did, and I, that was the first time in my life that I ever, uh, actually opened up at an emotional level and talked about my life experience. And I ended up, I don't know, I don't think I talked for maybe more than 20 minutes, but I ended up blubbering and sobbing (laughs) Um, because it was basically at that point about 19 years of just bottled up feelings and emotions that I'd never talked about and it took me completely by surprise somehow I never thought about it that it would be like that and uh, that was the start to that was the first time that I was ever really honest with people about my insecurities um, and who I really who I really was on the inside and that was that was the start of kind of me um, learning how to be like healthily connected to my friends instead of connected through my insecurities. Yeah. So, when did Peter die? Uh, that was January of 2015. So, right after I turned 19. It's crazy. It's that long ago. It's almost eight years. No, it is eight years. It's almost nine years. So, you want to talk about that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at at this point, it's... It's kind of interesting because at this point there's, I mean, pretty much no, I mean, aside from like my family connections, 
there's zero, like, pretty much nothing about my life that he was involved in. Yeah. So, like, it's, um, it's almost more odd to think about him being around at this point. Yeah. Than it is to think about him, him being here. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So, do you yeah, feel I mean, like it doesn't that... bother me to talk, like it doesn't really bother me to talk about it anymore. Right. So obviously so Peter's your brother obviously for people that don't know. But I think losing a sibling is just going to be pretty traumatizing no matter what the circumstances. Yeah. But do you feel like that had a big shift on or do you feel like that gave you a big shift on how you saw the world? Or was it mostly just something that you had to deal with and move on? And... It somewhat. Um, I think that was the first, like, my, other than, you know, the emotional unhealth and just, like, some of the difficult things, like, with church and stuff like that. Like, my life was pretty good. You know, yeah. like... Um, Dad and I's relationship wasn't the best growing up. Um, and I, I felt that quite a bit. But other than that, like, we had a really good life, you know. Um, yeah. We were always, you know, we were never, like, rich. But, you know, we always had money for what we wanted money for. And um, lived very comfortably. And had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the first blow where I was like, um, I just really started to realize kind of just how I, I really realized how rough life could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after, do you, do you feel like that had a big impact on why you were able to open up and start to talk about things like that? I think so, because that was, at when that happened, there was finally, there was something in my life that was, dis, it destroyed me at a level that I, at that point I could, it was almost impossible to just bottle it up. Yeah. Um, and I think that was part of it. Um. But I've, I've always been able to, uh, somehow I've always been able to look at stuff like that and just accept it and let go. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, that was probably the biggest thing. It was, I would say it was like, it was really hard for the first year. Um, and I, I noticed a pretty a pretty big difference after the first year. Of course, that was also kind of right over the time that I really started to get out and do a lot of other things. So that, that helped a lot too. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't even know how or why exactly, but somehow I was able to just accept it. It's just the way it was and I wasn't going to do anything about it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like stuff like that, it can have a hugely different, even from family member to family member, Yeah, can have a 
just extremely different impact on on people and oh yeah i really don't know i I don't know that anyone knows what what causes the difference but yeah but so you mentioned your relationship with your dad and i'm curious if you have a perspective on that because i know that so a lot of a lot of young guys grow up feeling very different distant Mm -hmm. from their dads do you have an opinion on why that is I think that our parents grew up in a very, very, very different world than we are, than we did. And one of the biggest things that, that's helped me um, accept that relationship and um, not hold it against my dad is that I realized that his relationship with his dad was a lot worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that because he talked about it. And when I look at what he experienced and then I look at what he gave me, it's a world of a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave me a much better experience than his dad gave him. Um, and I think as kids, I think it's really important... Um, obviously I think there are those parents out there that are just garbage and, um, really don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, but I never, I never ever questioned, uh, the, the fact that dad, dad or mom cared. Um, and so because of that, I think it, it, um, I think as kids, it's, it can be really healthy to give grace to our parents and realize that most of them grew up in much worse situations than we did. Um, yeah. Even with the experiences, that, you know, that we had. Yeah. I do think that's true. I mean, I think a lot of our parents were just raised by animals. <laughs> <laughs> they were. I mean, my, you know, my dad says, you know, he, he tells me about stuff like, you know, he remembers one one a single time in his life that his dad looked at him and like praised him for doing a job well one time yeah i mean as a growing up adult or as a growing up a a kid growing up through your teenage years always looking for your dad's approval and getting that once yeah i mean that's pretty rough yeah (laughs) that's really intense it's horrible but I also think a lot of times, <clears throat> even even as people that, you know, don't have older kids, obviously, a lot of us have people in our lives that kind of look to us for the same thing. Yeah. And we don't give it to them either. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot more people than what we realize just in our lives that would love to hear some praise or some yeah affirmation you know what i mean Mm -hmm. just just random general people you know or i mean obviously our friends but you know just people that are close to us that i think at least for me i just kind of assume that nobody is is looking to me for any kind of affirmation 
Yeah. Right? So I just, I just assume that nobody really, I don't mean nobody cares because I know people care about me as a person, right? Yeah. But I just tend to assume that nobody really cares whether or not I approve of what they're doing. Right. You know what I mean? Or yeah. whether, whether I think they're doing a good mm-hmm. job or, you know what I mean? There tends to be a, a pretty clear distinction that I make in my mind between yeah. these two things. And essentially that's doing the same thing as what, yeah. you know, what a lot of yeah. you know, people do with their kids. Because well, it's, I mean, it just, like, I know, like, growing up with the insecurities I had, I always, every person that I met, I classified as them as better or less than myself. Yeah. And as soon as somebody was better than me, I wanted to be their friend because that would look good because they were a good person or they were cool or they were whatever. But I never thought about the fact that they want and need the same things that I was looking for. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, you're, I think you're right. Even as like, even as like friends, like we don't do that. It's like, we're not rooting for each other enough. <laughs> yeah. Know? Which is like, odd. Yeah. We like each other and we hang out, but you know, when it comes to the things that we're doing in life, like we're just not near, near like proud enough of each other. Yeah. All right. We're back. Why does it look so weird? It looks weird. No, I think it's fine. Why is it red? <laughs> that's, it my, used to... that's my question. <laughs> it used that's to be a, blue and now it's a, red. That's a phrase you never want to hear. <laughs> uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think anything's wrong, though. Why don't you stop it and just listen, see if it's recording. Yeah, it's recording. Okay. So, yeah. So, now you're... Now we're at, like, 21 and all your insecurities are gone? Because you Uh, opened that one time? (laughs) No, sad... I mean, it was... That was the start of it. And it was basically... It was a process... Um, I think the biggest thing that did for me was it made it it helped me understand partially why I struggled so much in relationships before then. Yeah. Um, like I had a couple of friends that were I was very close to, um, and I would say, well, you know the Plank Boys, yeah, Tim Tim and Joe, um, like. I would say that they, the two of them, we really started hanging out when I was probably, I think it was, uh, I think I was about 17, 16 or 17 when they moved into our area. And they really, they did a really good job of showing me what, like, real friendship looked like. In that, like, we would, we would hang out and they would just talk about everything that they were going through and, you know, just basically just what you know what life was like for them and I would sit there and listen to them for hours and I wouldn't say like I would say virtually nothing myself and 
um, after I started to open up myself, I realized that even though I was, I was always very willing to listen to other people, I was never willing to give myself in relationships. Mm-hmm. I was never willing to, to let other people in, even though other people let me in. And so after I started to open up, um, I always knew that there was something wrong with my relationships and I could never really figure out what or like what I was doing wrong. And that was kind of an eye-opening experience to me and it, it just kind of showed me, okay, like if I want to have good authentic relationships I have to be willing to let other people into what I'm going through as well it can't just be a one a one-sided thing mm-hmm. um, so it was obviously a huge learning curve learning how to do that and how to do it well um, and I still I still struggle with it sometimes like I can go through times where I just I, I have a really hard time still doing that Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been mostly for, I would say the last, um, the last six or eight, well, a little longer than that, probably the last year or so is really where I feel like that has, maybe a year or two is really where that has, um, pretty, I, I don't really feel affected by that anymore. Not at all. I don't think I don't think so anymore. It's an interesting um, topic because I feel I I believe from my perspective that a lot of guys are extremely lonely. Yeah. And they're not lonely in the sense that they don't have friends because almost all guys have have a pretty big group of friends whether it's work friends or just church friends or just friends in general. Yeah. A lot of guys are very good at having friends and maintaining friendships. Yeah. But they're very bad at actually getting to know those people and actually knowing what's going on with their lives. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of guys just do not open up. Mm -hmm. They never do. They don't know how. Yeah. And... Even even guys like you know, I would say I would say that I can open up, but I know it's not I know it's not something that I do sometimes I'll do it on a regular basis, but then there's other times where it'll go a very long time. Yeah. Where I'm just shutting everybody out and it's not necessarily intentional. It's right. just It seems like for guys, our natural reaction when we're really having a hard time is to shut everybody out. Yeah. And it seems like for for women, it just comes a, a lot more natural to actually open up and talk about things. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, you, there's so many guys that just end up at horrible places mentally yeah. and end up committing suicide and all this right. stuff and you would just you would never I I believe that there's a lot of guys that are just on the complete verge of snapping yeah and just doing something extremely crazy that you would have no idea yeah because guys are so Absolutely. good at 
guys are so good at hiding what's going on in their heads because yeah. and because so many of us are so bad at opening up and talking about any of that stuff mm-hmm. you it it's so easy to truly believe that you're completely alone because you don't get to hear those experiences from other guys and you don't get yeah. to hear that hey this this dude this dude feels the same way I do yeah. on a normal basis. You know, he doesn't feel like he's crazy successful either. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's an interesting thought because, and I don't I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. But yeah. Well, I I think one of the biggest reasons for that is that like. What I think it's partially a natural thing, but I think also a part of our culture, guys are supposed to have it figured out. Yeah. And so if we don't, we feel like we're failing. And so then we don't wanna we don't wanna go and talk to somebody about how we're failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that sucks. Yeah, so, it does. And I think guys are also held to such a high standard. At, at least at least guys hold themselves to a very high standard yeah. now with the whole hustle culture and all that stuff. Yeah. And a lot there there's this perception now that, you know, it's just expected that you'll be retired by thirty and by yeah. twenty five <laughs> you'll be making, you know, five hundred thousand dollars a year, you know. And there's just this concept that is just so I'm not saying it's impossible to get there, but it's it's rare yeah. to get there. It's not the norm. And when when it's portrayed like you should get there and you should not be content with anything other than that, yeah. then you have so many guys that are so discontent with their finances and where they're at and they feel mm-hmm. like they they feel like they're not enough and they they don't have enough resources to provide a good life. Yeah. You know, and you get all this, all this garbage from this mentality that is just not accurate. Right. You know, and it's like we were talking about earlier today that you can have a, you can have a very happy and fulfilled life and really not make money. Right. Like not much money. You know, you can, and, and there's a lot of studies that have been done on that too, but up until, I, I think, and with the studies, I think they say that there's a certain, there's a certain cutoff where if you're under a certain, I forget if it's like 80000 a year maybe, mm-hmm. where if you're making less than that, then making more does affect your happiness, okay. right? Because, yeah. <clears throat> so basically the concept is, is that if you're constantly stressing about paying your bills and keeping yeah. the electric on and and having enough to eat, right? Yeah. Then that does affect your happiness. But right. once you get to the point where those things, those basic day-to-day things are no longer a real worry. Yeah. After that, after that point, whatever that is, you know, of course it varies from area to area, I'm sure. Yeah. But what, whatever that point is, after that point, money doesn't really affect your happiness. It's just right. extra yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's true. For sure. I, I think it is, but it's also... It's also so hard to get out of that mindset, because it's just... Yeah. Beat into you from mm-hmm. the time 
like you know every time you open your phone and go on social media it's, it, there's another post about how you know what you can do to make more money <laughs> or how somebody else is making yeah you know this side income and it's just yeah. it's such a big part of our yeah. of our culture at least yeah and i i mean i think it's impressive you know just yeah. to to see the difference even in in my generation I, I say my generation but just like the guys that are our age versus the guys that are now 17 18 19 it's impressive how much they're getting done and what they're accomplishing yeah and, and yeah. where some of these kids are at financially. Yeah. It's extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's way too much weight that's been put on that. Where it's almost yeah. like your your character doesn't really matter as long as you've got resources. Right. And, you know, you don't really have to be kind as long as you've got a multi-unit by the time you're 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the yeah. focus. Right. It's not the focus. Yeah. It's, the focus is is investing, making money. Right. Residual income. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, man. If there's one word I could take out of the English language, residual income. <laughs> it's so annoying. Just remove it entirely. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Because so, there's so few ways to make money that are actually residual. Yeah. I mean, passive. 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 Yeah. Like, there's so few ways that you can make money that is actually passive. Right. You know, unless you have, like, I mean, obviously I've got investment accounts where you just put money in and you don't yeah. really do anything. You know? Right. That's passive income, but that's retirement account. You know, yeah. That's not... That's not, not income that changes flow. my life yeah. at this point, you know. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, technically passive income as far as rental properties and, and all that stuff, that's not passive income. No. That's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you have to be willing to to trade your time for yeah. that for that. At money. least until the point where you can afford to hire the hire and and build the infra- infrastructure to take care of it for you. But then, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, that takes takes you off of some of the day-to-day, but it's still, it's not it's not what it's perceived to be a lot of the time. Yeah. That's not to say it's not worth it. I, I yeah. definitely think real estate and some of that stuff, I definitely think it's worth it. I think it's a great thing. I wish, I wish I would have done more of that when I was younger. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things. So yeah. Anyway, you were going to talk about your near-death experiences. <laughs> uh, uh, if you want. Um, well, I think they they shaped your perspective those, a little bit. Yeah, those. I would say maybe. I think that's kind of one of the things I forgot about earlier um, that were very formative uh, from because most of them happened. All of them happened before I was 22. Yeah. Well, I guess the last one would have happened when I was 22. Okay. But, so I had... Um, How many were there? You make it sound like there's just... Well, there's Zookas. three that are like... Um, there's three that I 100% believe that I'm only here because of God. 
Yeah. Really. Um, and EpiPens or? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, so two of two of those have to do with my my bee allergy. Okay. Um, the there was I I would say probably the most formative one, the the one that really was really um, life changing for me. Well, there was kind of two of them when I was seventeen, probably. I had a three-wheeler accident that, um, to this day, I cannot explain, um, what happened aside from that there was just, it was, it was just hands down a miracle. Um, I was, that time I was riding my three-wheeler and going down one of the, the off-roads close to our place there, and... You know, three wheelers, they're death on three wheels. And they're not even, they're not legal to make anymore, are they? No. The government outlawed them in 87. Guess there's a reason. Um, but they, uh, yeah, so they're, they don't handle well at all and they'll, um, they flip really, really easily. So I was going really fast down this really rough, um, two track and, um, a friend of mine and I were racing and I was watching him and didn't see a curve coming up and I had about enough time I looked and we were on right on the curve and I knew right away that there was no way I was going to make it make the curve and I just, I remember just locking eyes with this 10 inch oak tree <laughs> Just staring down it's the barrel. Just, uh, I knew I was just, I mean, that's right where I was going. And in a split second, I thought, I have to jump off. And the next thing I know, um, the last thing I remember is being in the air, seeing my three-wheeler hit this tree, and then it went crashing down. It was right on the edge of a huge ravine. And I just saw it hit this tree and splinter in a bunch of pieces and go over the ravine. And then I blacked. And I woke up. I can't remember if I was standing or sitting. On this trail was sandy. Loose sand. And I was, I just, I woke up. I think I was standing in this trail. And it was completely smooth, loose sand. I went back <coughs> and... I could see my three-wheeler tracks go across the across the the road, and there was a little bit of a berm on the side of the road. It hit that and hit the tree, and there was zero scuffs in the sand other than that. And I was just sitting there, and like at first, like I kind of shook it off and was like, like I didn't know what happened. Um. And then it took like a couple of days. I started to remember like more and more of it. And to this day, like I have no idea what happened. I I had no dirt on me. I was com like completely clean. There was no slide marks in the sand. Um, yeah. So like that was, that was kind of one of those things. Like it made me stop, and 
every time one of these things happened, it was kind of a, a reality check. Um, just about like what I was doing with my life and stuff like that. Um, that was the first one. The next one, um, the, that next one, that was, uh, one of, one of the times I got stung and, um, <laughs> because you're allergic to bees. <laughs> I don't know if I am anymore, but yeah, that's, uh, that time the doctor, um, the doctor specifically said that he's never seen anybody as bad as me survive. And that, it, that time, um, I had about six or seven minutes until I was passing out. And I was in and out of consciousness for um, about 45, about an hour. Um, probably an hour and a half. But that time, I specifically, I was in and out of consciousness. Most of it, I was conscious. But um, that time, I it went on so long. And um, I guess I should explain a little bit of like, what happens. Basically, my body, instead of reacting to a bee like a normal body would, um, I guess I'm defective. And <laughs> it basically, my body goes into what they call anaphylactic shock, which is where your body begins to attack itself. And it basically restricts, um, from my understanding of it, basically it restricts all of your life-giving organs, your arteries. Um, so basically blood flow becomes really, really hard. So your heart has to work super hard and your breathing becomes just unbelievably hard um the best way i can describe it is if you had and this is from one bee sting yeah uh the best way i can describe it it's it would be like having an itch from the inside of your bones out from the tips of your toes to the top of your head along with uh a fever of about or a um yeah um, a fever of about 200 and uh, having about three or 400 pounds sitting on your chest. That's like, that's the combination of what I, I can imagine it feeling like. Um, so it goes on and basically... Sounds relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> basically your breathing just becomes harder and harder. And that time it went on long enough that I got to the place where I thought about my whole life and everything I was living for. And did you get that life flash before your eyes thing? No, it was slow enough. Like it wasn't like it, it's not like an instant thing. Like you're, you're conscious and you're going through it and you're, you're fully conscious and you just feel your body going through this. And you know that, um, you know that it's getting worse and worse and basically it's just a battle of time until this thing wears off. So that time it went on long enough that I basically, I looked at all the things I was living for and one by one I just, you know, just came to the place where, you know what, it's probably all right and I just let go of it until I came to the place where 
I just gave up on life. And um, I was, at that point, I was 100% convinced I was going to die. Um, I was fully conscious and, um, yeah, I just, I laid there and was just like, you know, this is the end. It's, it's going to happen. Could you talk? Could you, like, uh, barely. could you hear? Yeah, I, I, you can hear, but you don't have the strength to, to talk, really. Yeah. Um, you're so, all of your energy is so intensely wrapped up in just breathing that, um, yeah you just there's nothing else <laughs> so I that time I got to the place where um, I was just fully convinced that I was that was the end and um, I somehow I guess I think at that point um, it was right after that that the ambulance finally showed up and they got me on some IVs and stuff I think that gave me some relief and Obviously, I made it, but um, that was those experiences where that experience in particular, where I can remember being in that place of just giving up on life and being fully convinced that it was the end. Mm -hmm. um, that pretty much from that point on. I had, I, I've had a really weird connection with death, with, like with my own death. Not in that, like, it doesn't scare me, but I've, like, for years, I would think about my own death six to ten times a day at least, at a minimum. And I'd think about, you know, what it's going to look like and how it's going to feel and that kind of thing um so that's been i feel like that more than anything probably pushed me to figure out what life is really about and what i really want to do with life um and i think the other huge thing that it did was it just convinced me that the um, the things that I'm not going to care about when I'm at that point again are not worth investing in. Mm -hmm. um, and I just had like, I don't know, I guess it just gives you a perspective of being in that place. Um, be, it gives you a perspective of being at the end what what is really uh, what do we really care about at that point um, so that was <clears throat> I think that that was probably one of the biggest things that happened growing up that really um, it was probably one of the biggest things that didn't let me give up on God because I think for me it was I had to believe in I had to believe in God because 
I, I couldn't reason through some of those things and why I'm here if it wasn't for something like that. Yeah, if it wasn't for something supernatural. Yeah. So do you feel like that changed your <clears throat> your vision for your life or what your goals are a lot? Or was it more just something like, you know, a, a lot of the things that I was living for don't really matter? That was, yeah, that was big. Um it didn't really change my goals as much, I don't think. Um, one thing it did is, like, I've... There's very, very few hobbies or things that I have ever been able to get into, like, at, like, a... Like, where I'm, like, actually passionate about it. Um, because, like, you know, I can get into things like a sport or um, whatever. And, yeah, I enjoy it. You know, I'll do it from time to time. But I'm, I've never been able to get passionate about those things. And I've realized more recently that I think the reason is because when I'm doing those things, subconsciously in the back of my head, I'm thinking this is utterly pointless. Yeah. Like, this has no value whatsoever. And almost everything that I do has been in that, like, with that mindset. Like, what what value is this? What value does this hold? And is it is it a value... Um, am I valuing it because it's an earthly thing? Or am I valuing it because it's something that I'm going to care about at the end? Yeah. Um, so that whole thing is... I think it just made all that really real. Yeah. I think I think there's a big point to that. I also think that sometimes there's things that don't really seem like they have value that have value just because of the relationships and stuff that come out of them. Like yeah. <clears throat> like sports for example. I think that's one thing that, you know, when I was growing up, obviously growing up in a super conservative church, sports were really frowned on. Mhm. Um, but you know, since that, seeing seeing some churches and you know some of those types of things where they have like organized, you know, where they have a softball team, a certain yeah. church softball team, and I think some of those things can be very healthy. Yeah. Just because of the relationships that come out of them, and you know, guys, guys tend to have to be doing something to really connect. Yeah. It's really, really hard to get a just a bunch of guys in a room and just sit down and say, "Okay, everybody, <laughs> spill connect." Yeah, <laughs> On yeah, <demand. laughs> yeah. It just it just doesn't really happen. Yeah, you gotta you gotta take them out and you know spend right. the day cutting wood or something, and then yeah. they'll connect. Um, That's like so. I think some of those things that like I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think some of those things that don't really seem to have any value, and they don't have yeah. any value in, in of themselves, but. Mm-hmm. They can have value just because of the, of the byproduct. Yeah, if that makes sense. That's yeah. I mean, and like, that's like I love like I love to fish. Yeah. And like I love I, I love the game of sport uh, game of golf. <laughs> you love the game, game of sport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the game of sports. Yeah. Um, I love the game of golf, but I think I've went and played golf by myself, maybe twice. Yeah. In the, like, four years that I've been playing. Yeah. Um, I'll, like, I'll, you know, even, like, fishing. Like, I love to fish, 
but I don't fish very much. Yeah. And the only times I ever really go fishing is if one of my buddies wants to go or something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then at that point, then I feel like I'm connecting with someone and that, um, that is something that's huge to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think, yeah. Some of those things can just be really, especially if it's something that you, you know, you really enjoy. That's something that, um, I've seen in the whole, so I don't, I haven't had a whole lot of hobbies. Um, but just in the, the weightlifting and the martial arts and yeah. stuff like that, it, there's some communities there that are, are, that are really cool just because people have, they have the same interest yeah. and they connect on that. And it's people from completely different walks of life that, that, that hobby is their only connection. Mm-hmm. You know, they would never, they would never have, have a interaction or, you know, talk to somebody that's that different from them and has that different of a political view and, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. so like the last time I was at a martial arts class, the guy I was training with, he said he's a, a chemist from Britain. What? It's like it's so random. It, it's so random, and and you know you can make those connections with people that there is literally no <laughs> possible other yeah. other way that yeah. I would have an interaction with a chemist from Britain. Right. You know what I mean? They yeah. just they just wouldn't. Yeah. And so I think some of those things can really bring people together, and and I think it's just things that have no value. In and of themselves. Yeah. The relationship and, aspect brings value to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Anyway. Well, this has all been... I'm I'm not the greatest uh, <laughs> interviewer ever. So it's been, it's been a little... I have a, I have a little bit of a hard time just like staying on topic and <laughs> staying... Because <laughs> that's not the way my brain works. Yeah. I try to do it. I, I try to stay on, on track, but it's just, my brain doesn't work very well that way. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about, we'll just kind of wrap it up with, um, tell me a little bit about where you're at now and how you see the world and, yeah, tell me that and then I'll ask you one or two more things. All of that, I, man, all of that has changed so much in the last few years. Um, we moved to Tennessee here, and I threw myself into my work and my finances um, because that was right after we were married, and so I felt more pressure on that end from that. And... Um, also, just the desire to, to do well and to establish myself financially. Um, so, I threw myself into that, really, for the past three and a half years. And, well, no, four years. Um, and that became, again, kind of one of those distracting things that... Um, 
kind of distracted me from from living life the way I knew I should. Mm-hmm. Um, in in regards to um, my faith in, in Christianity. Um, so recently, that's I'd say kind of in the last year, that's really been. where a lot of that has changed and I feel like I feel really really blessed to be where I'm at right now in life because with all of the bad experiences in church and Christianity and all of the years that I struggled to find meaning and purpose in life and um, to find a relationship with God and uh, people that I felt like was um, the way that we see in Scripture. And like to actually, um, to find people that actually actually live their lives according to Scripture and to where it actually makes sense. Um, it, it's take, like, to see that struggle, I feel like I'm now in a place where I'm seeing, I'm finding and seeing a lot of those things that I struggled so hard with all of my growing up years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a community that is dedicated to figuring out what that looks like and figuring out what it looks like to not just live the acceptable Christian life that our culture has taught us, but to actually live a Christian life that um, makes sense scripturally. Um, And so God is just, he's so faithful in taking us through the process of what it takes for us to find those things. If... um, if, if we're willing to go there with him. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a lot and it's taken, um, it's required a lot of um, reshaping of the way that I thought the Christian life was supposed to look like and what we're used to seeing. And um, a lot of that just came through um, really just getting to the place where I, I knew that I could continue life the way that I am. And I could live life, and yeah, I could probably live a mediocre life. I could be comfortable. I could take care of my family. Um, I can make money. I'm I'm confident of that. I've done it. Um, not that I've made a crazy amount, but um, I know that I can do those things. And But I've done that enough to know that it brings me absolutely zero... Um, peace or real joy and 
very recently here a lot is where a lot of this stuff has really um really taken place um where through just being a part of the community that I'm a part of just watching other people um live their lives in a way that um their lives aren't dedicated to a certain culture or a certain church system or an accepted way of living, but they're dedicated to having a relationship with Jesus, understanding um, scripture and what Jesus calls us to as Christians and figuring out how to live that out. And... I find myself in a weird place right now where I, um, for the first time in my, in, for the first time in my, my working career, I am not invested in anything at all. And I could care less. I just don't care. <laughs> um, and it, it was a long process of me knowing that I, I always read scripture and I'd, I'd read, you know, scriptures that we always heard as kids about laying down our lives, um, you know, like, I mean, Matthew 15, it says, um, kind of paraphrasing, but basically it just says that if we um, want to save our own lives, in the end we'll end up losing it. And But if we lay down our lives for the sake of Christ, then we gain it. And it's an incredibly simple scripture that we've heard our entire lives, but the practical working out of that is completely missed. Almost completely missed. Mm -hmm. um, in the culture that we grow up with, that most of us have grown up in. And it, that was one of the, like, that, what it actually looked like to do that was one of those things that I, that was basically the thing that I struggled with growing up was just, I knew that our culture and myself and specifically was not doing, was not doing that the way that Jesus had in mind when he said those words. And now, um, kind of through a process of things with investments that I had and stuff like that, um, one of the last investments, um, it kind of fell apart. And, it, well, it did fall apart. Um, it was a property and ended up just having to sell the property instead of doing what I planned to do. And, uh, after that happened, I was trying to figure out what I, you know, what I should do. And I, I felt that pressure to figure out, you know, what I was going to do next and how I was going to make the next dollar and stuff like that. And nothing really was coming together. And I just very strongly just felt God just saying, quit, just stop. It's okay that you just have money in the bank and that it's not doing anything. You can just sit. That's not hurting a thing. Mm -hmm. And 
it took me it took me a little while to just come to the place where I'm just okay not doing anything. And I've I've come to the place where I've given up what I want to see out of my life. I've given up the financial goals that I have and in that I've found more peace and a more real connection to God than I've ever found in my entire life. Um, not just in, in laying down the financial aspect, but my life as a whole. Um, just realizing that if Jesus really meant what he said there, then to lay down my entire life is actually what he wants. And if we do that, we can't do that looking to that for righteousness, but if we're doing that in the pursuit of a relationship with him, then that brings, um, that's where the, the real connection with him and um, purpose comes from. Um, so the last while I've, I'm not doing anything and I'm learning how to just realize that the most important thing in my life is that I pursue knowing and walking with Jesus in a like in a, a practical way to the extent that it can it can feel crazy um, but it's I it's what I believe um, the scripture is actually talking about when it talks when it when it talks about that mm -hmm. um, we need we have to be willing to to go there and to just let go of everything that we want because in the end um, it's not about us yeah and that whole thing all of that is is changing my perspective on the world and and everything that I do drastically because it's the more the more I the more I'm walking in that the more I realize that life and everything that God has given us has nothing to do with us mm -hmm. it's so much bigger than that and if we're willing to go there God has so much large, so much bigger of a plan and a purpose for our lives than we could ever come up with ourselves. And if we're willing just to go there with him, I mean, it's it's hard. You you know, it takes a it takes a level of just not caring. <laughs> then. Um, then it's natural but um, I, I it feels crazy to say but I feel like I can honestly say that I've found what I've I was always looking for growing up mm -hmm. and obviously it's still a process and I'm not 
Um, I feel like I'm super, super young in walking this way. Um, but I know that if I, if I keep going, um, at this point, I, I kind of look at it as my only option mm-hmm. because I lived 26 years trying to do it myself and it's just, there's, I was not happy with anything that I was creating myself anyway. Yeah. So, final question. If you could, from, from where you're at now, um, with having a community, having, you know, being more at peace with yourself and the world and all that good stuff, if you could go back and talk to yourself at 18, 19, what advice would you give yourself or what would you say? It sounds stupidly simple, but if I could go back and do one thing, do one thing different, or yeah, if I could go back and do one thing different, it would simply be that I would understand, have the right perspective on who God is, and um, the love and the the purpose that he has and the connection that he wants um, if I could go back and understand that and start the walk that I'm on now back then that would be hands down the one thing I would change really what it comes down to is just forgetting about everything else and doing everything to everything possible to understand and get to know Jesus mm-hmm. so is there So obviously this is, for you to get to this point, this has taken a lot of time, right? And when you don't have that perspective, Mm -hmm. it, you know, like like you're saying, have a a right perspective on God and who God is and stuff like that. So what would you say if somebody's somebody's listening to this and they say, I don't have a right perspective, but I don't know how to get there. Like, I know there's a disconnect but I don't really know how to get to where I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? What got me here was coming to the place where well, it was it was basically just the decision to quit filling myself with really anything everything but God and I'm not I'm not talking about outright sinful things um, but I spent and like 
I mean, it's, it's a problem with our culture where we, as a culture, it's okay for us to spend 15 hours a day educating ourselves about finances or schooling or anything um, that is deemed good in our world, right? Fine, good financial education, that's a good thing. All of us should have it. Um, and, you know, the same with a myriad of other things. Um, but I would say anything that is in your life that is distracting you from spending time in Scripture and in prayer, just take a month and just stop those things completely. And your spare time, spend it listening to solid teaching on um, solid teaching on on the subject on what it is to walk with God. Spend it in prayer. Spend it in scripture. For me, it uh, when I made the choice to do that, it took about two days. And the depression that I was in, the lack of purpose, all of that left. And uh, I haven't struggled with either of those things since. The, the, the devil uses not the worst things in our lives, but the okay things in our lives to distract us. The, the, the most powerful thing that he can do is distract us. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're distracted, then we can't see what we're missing and we can't see the real person of Jesus. And if we're willing to just lay those distractions aside and um, put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, when we say things like, you know, that God means more to us than anything or, you know, God has control of my life, you know, you know, oh, my business is God's, you know, all of that stuff that we grow up hearing and, and we say ourselves a lot of times. If we're willing to actually put our money where our mouth is, and just let those things go and put intentional time and uh, yeah, basically just time into actually seeking out Jesus then he will, he's there it's not um, it's not like we even have to find him he's already there and but it's just we're so distracted that we can't see him. And if we're willing to just let go of that, let go of those distractions, and give him time, then um, Scripture says that he will he will always be faithful to be there. So, pretty stupidly simple, but that's what it was. No, it's for good. Me. That's what yeah, it was. Good for answer. Me. Well, good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I think we will um, shut it down unless you have anything else you want to say. No, I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. We will have to 
do it again sometime. But sure. yeah, I appreciate you taking the time.